on today's podcast. Yeah. So I just want to introduce the, the notion that there, there, there are larger belief systems that, that everybody has. And it's really important for um, business owners to, to identify their, I call them limiting beliefs, because they are essentially limiting. They don't have, I'm not saying they're wrong. I, I really like to steer clear from saying your way you see the world is wrong or right or better or worse. I, I, I just, they are, if they're limiting any sort of possibility, I, I just, I point at them and say, hey, this is someplace you might want to maybe put that belief system aside and try to be open to something different because it might be of use to you. It might help you break through whatever ceiling you find you're at. Hello and welcome to the Craft Beer Marketing Institute where we help you grow and market your craft beer business. Today we are talking about how to run a successful social media contest for your brewery and attract new customers at the same time. Then we talk to entrepreneur coach Michael Zemrose about the overwhelm cycle and finding a vision for your brewery. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we are going to get into how to run a successful giveaway on social media for your brewery. There's a technique used by many businesses across many industries to stir up interest in their brand and to get people talking and create hype for a new product or event, drive engagement, grow an email list, boost your social media followings, and any other numbers of, of results that you would want to achieve with that. Um, before we get into it, uh, let's. there are some legal things that uh, I think, Josh, you have, so would you want to just go into that really quickly? Yeah, I feel like every episode I should just have some legal disclaimer because we're talking about alcohol and, of course, there's regulations around everything. Um, but today, as we're talking about contests and giveaways, we're really talking about sweepstakes um, because there's different, there's different categorizations of what uh, giveaways are. Um, so we're talking about sweepstakes today as far as the legal side goes. And, of course, there's state-to-state -state regulations, um, but... Really, don't you can't be giving away booze as a prize, and that's probably pretty obvious to to most people. But uh, that is a a no no. So uh, any type of giveaways that you're thinking about as far as what to be giving away, think of things that are uh, not alcohol, but might um, might pertain to your audience. So like concerts and shows, or swag bags, or anything you're sponsoring. So you can't give away like a flight of something from your tasting room? Right. Yeah, not in a giveaway. And, uh, and then the other thing to be aware of, especially as we're talking about social media, is that your hashtags, you can't have a, a tweet indicate that you're entering a contest. Um, or same thing with Facebook. So if you were saying, tweet this, ha this hashtag and you're like entered, it's not clear as far as the, the guidelines and rules around that, so you want them to join the sweepstakes. Um, your hashtags need to be very clear that it's part of the sweepstakes to be entering them. So there's actually a lawsuit of where somebody was using a hashtag um, that was, I forget the exact hashtag, but let's say it was beer is awesome. And it's like, oh yeah, hash, use this hashtag to enter our sweepstakes. Well, some people could be using that hashtag and not realize that it's a sweepstakes, so they don't know the terms and conditions. So if you are using a hashtag that's for a contest, it needs to be clear, like Acme Brewing, Acme Brewing Sweepstakes or something of that category. So just in general, 
check any legal regulations, guidelines for your state um, and at the federal level. Um, there's actually a really cool link, uh, sarahfhawkins.com, that's S-A-R-A-F-H-A-W-K-I-N-S.com. Uh, her page has some, some interesting stuff, and she's obviously an attorney that uh, goes pretty into detail, so there's that disclaimer. Um, Cool. Yeah, and I guess that always that goes for probably each of the channels that you're going to have your sweepstakes on. So on Facebook, I know Facebook has their own terms, whereas Twitter probably has their own terms as well. So whatever you're doing, um, yeah, just make sure you do some research on that. Um, with that, let's just get into why you would even want to do a social media giveaway and why that's an effective campaign. I mean, to me, I think it's just another level of engagement if you're offering a prize, and especially if you're offering a prize, you know, you want to, I mean, it depends on the prize, but you want that prize to appeal to the audience that you're going after. I know that sounds pretty obvious, but um, if, if that prize has like an emotional appeal to somebody, to a craft beer lover, then you're going to be able to get more engagement out of, out of your audience through that. And then it's not just the prize giveaway, obviously, that you're doing. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're trying to build a following and reach out to your community and get more new customers in by offering this prize um, and then doing something with those results afterwards as well. Like if, you're, if the goal is to get more subscribers to your newsletter, then offer something after the prize um, to those new subscribers to your newsletter. Uh, and it's really just another way of thinking about engagement online um, and it's another tool in your toolbox for marketing. Right, and as with anything that you're doing, uh, and as we always advocate being a strategic firm, have the strategy behind what you're doing first. Don't just run it because you heard us say it on a podcast, but think about what your business objective is it is for it because it could just be increased awareness uh, or it could be getting newsletter subscribers or it could be increasing sales or just doing surveys to get more information. So think of what that one objective is when you're running your, your giveaway and make sure that you're set up to, to be able to handle that and get those results you want uh, because it's not always going to be a giveaway just to get more customers per se. Yeah, I mean a strategy is really important. Not just for figuring out what results you want and how to measure those because even if you don't succeed in measuring those you can at least next time you go back and you do another uh, giveaway you can adjust to what you did before and make it better but just having the, those clear goals and that strategy because there's going to be some things you have to manage with that sweepstakes you're going to manage you know what just think about what social media accounts are you going to use what um you know, we said, do you want page likes, more website click-throughs, more people visiting your brewery? Define what that is. How are you going to announce the giveaway? How are you going to choose the winners? All of those things need to be thought about. And if you just jump into doing a social media giveaway, you may be overwhelmed pretty quickly if you get a huge response from it. Right, and I think that gets into a really big point of expectations around uh, your campaign. Um, if, if you know that you're increasing awareness or you're getting more subscribers or whatever it is that you should set your expectations beforehand so that you know how to track it so that way you're not just doing a giveaway and then looking back and saying was this effective I don't really know because we didn't really know what we were supposed to be tracking 
and 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 knowing exactly what it looks like past that. So, um, as you mentioned, how are you selecting the winner? How are you announcing people? And and knowing um, knowing for yourself that after this contest ends, the traffic that was resulting from that contest is going to be dropping off. So you're not going to have as much traffic. You're not going to have as many people looking at your brand um, unless, of course, there's some external campaign going on. So you just need to know <clears throat> what to expect and what you're going to be doing with those results afterwards so that you're not running a campaign, say, on Facebook and then saying, all right, it's done. Well, we didn't collect any email addresses, so everybody that we got to see our brand, we actually don't know who they were because we didn't really get a list beforehand. So, whoops. Yeah, I mean, the end goal of your campaign is not that prize. The end goal for you is is to get it's to increase your brand awareness and you know to bring more people to your site and more people to learn about you know who you are um, and also on that note too you know you want that strategy in place too so you can set a budget and you might already may have a good following of social media accounts people who are into your beer but what you want here are new customers not just the same people who have been into you all along um, for this to be successful so with that in mind, you want to look into some social media advertising, probably through Facebook ads or Twitter ads, and, or just any way that you're going to promote the giveaway where you can put some money into it. And that budget will depend on how long you want to run that giveaway for as well. So if it's over a week, you may want to do something every day to promote it. So yeah, and then, um, so we have set a budget, you know, have these clear goals in mind, you want to create, make sure you create the rules around your sweepstakes and clearly define what they are because depending on what you're doing, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, beyond the legal terms, you want to protect yourself from loopholes that your users might find. You don't want to have a giveaway that, you know, you're giving away a nice new t-shirt that was customized by some artist and then your users find a loophole and you have to give away 100 t-shirts and then you realize that, you know, that's going to be way more expensive. Yeah, and, and, and don't ask your users to name something, as, as we've seen with yeah. <laughs> uh, public naming uh, campaigns. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you touched on uh, a point of when you're, you're collecting the information of these people and having something that, that resonates with them, f from, from your marketing standpoint, you're able to segment those people. So whatever you're giving away, make sure that if you're giving away that tickets to a sports event or something that you're sponsoring, then then all of those people that are joining that giveaway are obviously people that enjoy sports. And so if, if you have a long-term strategy around giveaways, you can really use that to your benefit by segmenting each one and putting each of those people that sign up on a separate list or in a different category so that any messaging you're putting out to them, and I would imagine those are going to align with certain customer profiles that you've created. Um, you'll be able to leverage that for, for future campaigns. Yeah, I mean, you can target your giveaway specifically to, to a specific audience, like we had talked about in the past. You can niche down to an audience that you want to grab, like um, maybe you have more of a male-centric base to your brewery that's coming, you want to reach out to you know a more female audience, then you can do a giveaway that's more targeted towards them. Really anything, you can get pretty creative with it. Um, what are some things, so let's just talk about real quick about some things a brewery can do with the response 
that the campaign garners. Like what once they once that uh, giveaway is over with, how do you nurture those leads that come in? Because each new you know each new subscriber that comes in is basically a new lead. It's a new customer, and maybe someone who's never learned about your beer before. Yeah, I I really think it depends on what the longer term strategy would be. Um, as I mentioned, that if you've segmented them based on their interest, then then you're able to use that in different ways. But I think in general, it's just to keep engaging with them. I really like campaigns that involve user engagement, so it's not just a like this post and get entered. I like it when you're saying, hey, share share your experience this weekend with one of our beers or something and t send a photo in uh, or tweet it and hashtag it because that allows you even afterwards that you have all of this content that you can then keep sharing uh, especially if it's a geo-targeted campaign or or it's this really tight-knit local campaign which is in most cases for every brewery uh, so even afterwards you're able to still take that content and be putting it out there right and one thing too that um, I've noticed a lot of people doing that and I hear a lot of people frown down upon this as well is when people offer a contest or a sweepstakes that requires you to create something for the business, like a lot of people will do a logo contest, you know, create a logo for a beer. And a lot of people frown down on that because you are asking for free work um, when you probably should be using a professional to do that. But I mean, I guess that's just a an opinion some people have, you may find some very interesting things to do with that, um, but that you know that may make it more interesting. But just make sure that you're not just using your audience to do more work for you. <laughs> so as far as a really good example of uh, a really well put together social media campaign or giveaway campaign, I should say, because the big point of this is that it's not just social media it's leveraging all platforms and distributing the campaign across it um, Harpoon Brewery did a great one it's over now but you can still see the site it's called lovebeerlovelife.com and it was this entire summer long campaign with multiple giveaways and it was kind of this theme around barbecues and music and having fun and they had all this additional content on there so it wasn't just a campaign of, hey, tweet this and you get some free thing. It was this ongoing thing where people could come to the site and engage and, and, and enter different contests. And so it, it, it really was a broader campaign and, and not just some weekly thing, uh, which I, I just love the way that they put it together and, and the additional content that kept people engaged and, and just a well, well put together campaign that can help give you some ideas around uh, your own campaign you could put together. Well, I mean, I think that's a good high-level discussion of a social media giveaway just to get an idea in your head of what a brewery can do with that. Um, remember, just keep a good strategy. Think about the results. And if you do one and it fails, then look at those results and try to and do another one down the line and, and just change things about it um, to make it work a little bit better. And uh, with that said, let's move on to our interview. Our interview today is with Michael Zemros. Michael is an entrepreneur coach that helps business owners find clarity, balance, and structure in their everyday life. He has worked with business owners to understand their motivations and be proactive in their decisions rather than reactionary to the business cycle. 
Uh, so thanks a lot for joining us today, Mike. Appreciate you being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, so let everybody know uh, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Um, so I'm an entrepreneur coach. Um, and how did I get here? Well, I've always been somebody that's worked for themselves. I never really had a nine to five job. Um, I studied film and photography and video in, in college. And right out of college, I started to work for myself as a freelancer. And I built that up to becoming what I called a, a independent producer and director. Um, so I have experienced all the challenges that I think anybody that is their own boss experiences. And I had peaks and valleys, things I'm really, really proud of um, in my career. And I still do that from time to time, but just as I kind of choose or as I design it, which is just like a, a side, a bit of a side hustle. Um, so one of my clients, one of my longtime clients, uh, he was the CEO of that company and he was also a coach. He was what you call an executive coach, which is essentially just like a life coach that wants to work with executives because he was one. Um, and that's how I got introduced to the world of coaching. And, and I was at this period of time in my life where, so my career started off like right out of the gates, right out of college. I just took off. It was a lot of luck and, uh, you know, it was a ton of fun, very fast. And when it finally slowed down in my mid twenties to late twenties, I started to ask myself, you know, some more, uh, you know, existential questions. <laughs> Why am I here? What am I doing? What do I like? What do I want to do with my life? Who am I? And this all with when I met this client of mine and we started talking about coaching. And coaches, as you can imagine, and maybe the listeners don't really know, but we deal a lot with that kind of thing. You know, um, really getting to know who you are and actually creating a life based off of something authentic for who you are and creating a business from an authentic place. So it just really coincided with where I was at the time. It really, really uh, just hooked me. And so I kind of jumped in two feet without really knowing too much of what it took to become a life coach or a coach in general. And um, I studied in New York for a year and uh, I just loved it. I, I slowly built my own private practice and I found myself enjoying the coaching work so much more that I completely transitioned out of um, most of my my production work. And what I found was that the the only production work I was interested in was the ones that, that just really, really spoke to me. It was no longer a financial need because I had uh, another business that was fulfilling in and of itself. And um, anyway, so it just took off and, and here I am. And I, I love it. It's what I do as my primary thing. And, um, you know, I label myself as an entrepreneur coach because that's, that's, you know, who I'm passionate about. That was my experience, you know, being my own boss. I really relate to that. And I really, um, you know, it speaks to me and I want to support those type of individuals. You know, I'm really, I'm really committed to that. Right. And I, you know, when we first met you, just let everybody know, um, We've been working with you, I guess, two years uh, now, which is insane how fast that time goes. But uh, when I first was introduced to you, I don't think I had ever really, I might have heard of a life coach, but I didn't really understand it. It was a very like, 
Oh, is that like somebody that gives you a, a mood board and tells you to put pictures of helicopters up on it or something? And uh, and then after we talked and uh, started receiving coaching from you, it was like a night and day transition. Um, and and so I thought it'd be helpful for for listeners to understand. Uh, the benefits of it are what it's like just from talking about our experience and, and some of those examples. Um, so one of the things that we first started talking about with you was uh, we were in a time when we were we had a, a, a business that we had owned for eight years and we were we had a startup uh, our our Bitcoin startup that was uh, that was really uh, going downhill at the time. We had to really understand the the process of of closing that down and kind of seeing that dream fizzle out. Uh, and so we were working 80 hours a week, and and just our life was kind of in chaos. Um, so one of the first things we really talked to you about was the, this whole cycle of working 80 hours and just getting burned out and just giving up on things. And uh, could you talk a little bit about what what that type of uh, what you called was a cycle of overwhelm? Yeah. Um... It's the most common thing, I, I, you know, when I begin working with any client, I mean, it's usually the first place that we go. Um, it, it's just, so anybody that's starting their own business obviously has a desire to succeed, right? So, and they also have, every every entrepreneur, any, every, well, most people in general, but specifically people that start their own business, they all have a vision for for at least some idea of why they want to work for themselves. They want to they want to make their own schedule. I hear that all the time. They want to, you know, they want to just be able to they want to travel. They want to do something that's unique to them that they're passionate about. They want to make a living and make money doing that. All this is great stuff, but everyone that they eventually comes to me is they usually reach a point where they've completely lost sight of all of that. And they're just completely in this overworked, overwhelmed uh, situation. They haven't really defined it as such yet, maybe. They just maybe have an experience of, I'm stressed out. I'm, I don't know where else to go. I'm stuck. Um, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Maybe I should talk to a coach. Or they bump into me and they say, maybe I should talk to you. Um, so to lay the, the groundwork for it, it's common, extremely common. Um, to introduce what I mean about a cycle, the cyc cyclic, cyclic nature of overwhelm, I want to uh, kind of introduce a concept of our automatics. So the way I explain this to, to anybody that is talking to me about it, or of course my clients, is that we all have automatic ways of being, automatic uh, Things we do, automatic ways that we react, and it's predictable. Like we all have predictable ways of being in our lives. Um, a, a place where I always go with this when I ask or introduce this to somebody is I say, you know, imagine, and I'll, I'll just ask you, Josh, for example, like imagine you are at a cocktail party, maybe it's a networking event, and you don't know anybody there. So when you show up, what is the predictable way you know you're, you're going to be in that situation? And another way to look at it is somebody else watching you walk in the room, what might they see? You know, how might they, 
look at you? What might they notice about how you're showing up? Yeah, well, I guess it depends on the day. Yeah. <laughs> I know uh, a lot of, I do a lot of new business, so it, I think that my automatic is look around the room and see what the easiest opportunity to insert myself in the conversation would be. Um, that's for me, although there have been times when I'd walk in and be like, I'm exhausted, I'm just gonna go grab a drink, uh, the nicest local craft beer, <laughs> and and just sit here away from everybody um, and just kinda wait for somebody to come over to me, you know? Right, right. <laughs> um, I usually head right to the bar too to loosen up. Um, now, if we just flip that story on its head and said, okay, it's another cocktail hour event, but you, you know everybody there, at least to some degree. How might you show up differently? How might people see you acting differently? What would your, how would you be in that situation? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's definitely a more casual approach. It's more, hey, I'm not here to really meet people and I don't have an agenda. It's like, hey, buddy, the first person I see, like, hey, what's up? There's like, there's less thought that goes into yeah. it, I guess, when you're, when you're in a comfortable situation. Yeah, exactly. Now, everybody who I asked that, if I asked you, Brian, it'd be probably a little bit different in your own way and, and, and same thing with me. And it's not about any, any, anything wrong or, or to notice about how you guys handle those situations. It's just that there's an automatic and predictable way. Like, you could answer the question. You can imagine in your mind's eye how you probably would, probably would act on any given day at a cocktail hour where you don't know anybody. Um, for instance, you probably have an idea of how you would be in a situation where you got pulled over by a police officer and you were speeding. Like, how you would be with this guy. Like, I know that I would automatically go into, okay, um, hands on the wheel, straight posture, breathe, um, be really polite. Uh, you know, my voice would probably go deeper or something. I don't know. I, I just would go into this pattern of acting that I feel is, is proper, that's somehow going to get me out of the situation or prevent it from escalating or something. You know what I mean? Okay, so that... I hope just introduces it to general, it's a simple concept that we have automatic ways of doing things that are driven from something. Like your agenda, the agenda you might have, like you mentioned, Brent, um, the agenda you might have at that networking event, it's driven from, you know, ge very generally speaking, I like to say, uh, well, it's driven from beer, essentially. It's driven for some, some form of control, um, some form of protection or survival, which is just a flavor of fear, we'll say. It's not like you're just, I don't mean you're scared, but it comes from some sort of survival thing. So back to overwhelm. So if you are um, anybody really, but if you are a, a small business owner, you have, you're driven by Oftentimes, we find ourselves driven to survive in our business, driven to get more money, more revenue, more clients, um, to make the most of our time. There's a lot of things that can start driving how we're acting from an automatic place. We don't even know what this is happening. Every day we wake up and it's just a, a shitstorm. Or every day we, we wake up and we have to try to manage all this stuff that needs to be done, and then things just happen to us that we have to then manage as well. 
very quickly you can find yourself like, where did that week go? I, I couldn't even tell you what I did. I just know I was busy as hell. So this can go and continue and continue, and eventually it has a, I mean, there's kind of milestones along the way. And for everybody, their overwhelm cycle is different. But you can define it from, there's, a, there's an end. There's a moment where it's like, oh, shit. Like, I'm screwed. And that's followed by, like, a, a, usually it's followed by a period of withdrawing. That's how you know one cycle has ended and it's going to go back and start over again. Um, so, the what's the, why is that important? Well, if you define your your patterns, then you can know where you are on that cycle, and then you can actually catch yourself and actually make a new choice or intervene in that cycle. Somehow break the pattern. Do something that typically wouldn't come next. Uh, uh, yeah. Any questions about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that will resonate with a lot of uh, brewery owners and distillery owners, anybody we talk to, it's always an acknowledgement that brewery owners are busy as hell. And it's just, you have to be worried about the product and the marketing. I mean, like any business, you have to worry about everything, but you're, you're creating this product every week, every day, every month. It just depends, of course. But uh, so as soon as one thing's done, it's, it's on to the next. So um, I could see that overwhelm being really, really present in, in the industry as a whole. Yeah, it's, um, when you define anything, when you put, you know, when I work with my clients, we actually will go through an exercise to, just to flesh out their individual overwhelm cycle, like the way that it looks in their world. And all that does is give people a space between all the stimulus coming in, all the stimulation coming in, which is every day, especially as a, a someone who's starting a brewery or running a brewery, this constant influx of every morning, new stuff to do, stuff you didn't do from yesterday, the stuff you want to do next month that's on your mind, the big, the big stuff, and then not to mention personal, your personal life. So there's a ton of stimulation coming in, and usually it goes right into reaction. And that's what I, to go back to the automatic thing, that's what I mean by it. Like, there's just no space between stimulation coming in and reaction. Anytime you sort of actually flesh this stuff out and create some awareness around it, it creates a space between there that allows a, cho a new choice to happen, it's, even if it's just a moment of breath. And, of course, you can expand it beyond just a single moment to maybe a minute or maybe 10 minutes to go take a walk and, and, and figure out what to do next. But any place where you can then create choice, that's the whole point of this. That's the whole point of what I do for my clients is help them be at choice instead of having like their life run them. They can run their life from choice in an empowered way. And what I found and what my clients find is that they have more power in their lives. They achieve more, more they achieve it faster and they achieve it uh, better even, right? Like more connected to um, who they are because they've had time to figure out who they are because they're not just stuck in this rat race, you know, where they don't have the time to breathe and ask themselves important questions. I think just um, like when I, when you first, we first got into this with you, um, I think just even just the acknowledgement of this overwhelm cycle is powerful in itself. 
because yeah. it just makes you think about it and think about ways where you can go about it or go about changing that. And um, could you talk a little bit about kind of the difference between being overwhelmed and just being busy? Because there's like I work a lot, many hours. I work you know probably more than much more than 40 hours a week now. I don't necessarily feel overwhelmed now, um, but there are times where I am working the same amount where I do feel overwhelmed. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between those two things? So, okay, so here's how I would look at it. A, you can know you're overwhelmed if you actually finally get to that peak moment where you just like, you know you're there when you're really, really overwhelmed. In terms of being, or you know, maybe you're, you're post, you're after the overwhelmed part, now you're in this withdrawn state. That's how you can tell that you are still on this cycle. But busy can both be a part of that cycle, somewhere before it gets like to its peak, somewhere down here. And it also can be like an empowered form of being busy. And I think the main difference is choice. The main difference is one's automatic and one is chosen. It's an empowered choice. Like you're aware of it. You're clear about it. You know what you're doing. You've, 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 I use the word distinguished. Like you've made the distinction. Like this is good busy. This is the busy choosing. And I have intentions put in place. I've clarity around it. You know, this is not just an automatic pattern I'm in because I feel like I have to, or I must, or I'm going to lose my business if I don't. That's a good, a good clue, is when you really feel like you have to, or you're supposed to, or you better, or else, these are clues. That maybe you're in a fear-based fear, a fear -based automatic pattern. And not that there isn't things to fear, or survival's good. Um, and it's challenging to run a business. And no one, I don't want to tell anybody to not fear losing their business, because, well, even if I told them that, it wouldn't change anything. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the, 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 the difference is just how, where you're acting from, the place you're acting from. Am I acting solely based off of this automatic thing, or have I really thought about this and made a choice? Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. That makes total sense. Cool. Yeah, I, I wanted to just repeat kind of what you said about the those key phrases of have to and must, and, and that's something I was going through a lot too, where it's like, I have I have to get back to this customer. They reached out, and I have to do it before tomorrow, so I have to do this. And you he, you hear that. You hear it when you can't continually hear yourself saying that, and um, and I, like with any business. But then when it's when you're structuring your day, and when you're uh, you talk a lot about putting structures in to support yourself to avoid doing those things, and and that, that really helps. Um, so it is. Is there a practical I mention something about that you just introduced is um, there's actually bigger forms of those. I mentioned these clues, like if you find yourself saying I must or I'm supposed to or I have to, like those are really, really common. But there's also bigger ones like some people, some I'm sure people listening might feel this way. A lot of entrepreneurs feel like it has to be hard. Like that's just the way it is. Like life is hard. Business is hard. This is normal. So there's bigger, bigger, like, I call them contexts, right? It's just a perception. It's a, a belief system 
It's, uh, you know, like the container you find yourself in. It's the way you view the world. It's a lens. Any number of, of uh, analogy or, or, or metaphor about it. But uh, some people really view the world through a, a, a lens that, hey, this is supposed to be hard. You have to work 80 hours a week to be an entrepreneur, period. That's the way it is. There is no other option. Yeah, I think you're just taught that, at, you know, at most people are just taught that from when they're young. I mean, even just the phrase, work hard, you hear that over and over yes. again. If you work hard, then you will succeed. And so working hard doesn't necessarily mean you're working smart or you're being productive. You know, you can work hard and not be overwhelmed. And we know that there's some leeway in these concepts, too, because you can even look to Europe and, and the, the sort of model they work on. Now, everybody can say, well, America's way more productive than they are, and there's different stats that everybody could quote. But there are other people that don't exist in that context. They exist in a different one, a different culture, a different way of seeing the world, a way of different, different way of seeing efficiency, all that. So I'm just saying that to, just to, to, to show that there are different belief systems. There's different ways to go about that. Um, So I just want to introduce the, the notion that there, there, there are larger belief systems that, that everybody has. And it's really important for um, business owners to, to identify their, I call them limiting beliefs, because they are essentially limiting. They don't have, I'm not saying they're wrong. I, I really like to steer clear from saying your way you see the world is wrong or right or better or worse. I, I, I just, they are... If they're limiting any sort of possibility, I, I just I point at them and say, hey, this is some place you might want to maybe put that belief system aside and try to be open to something different because it might be of use to you. It might help you break through whatever ceiling you find you're at. Yeah, so once you've understood that and you're like, okay, well, I understand what's causing me to be doing these things, what, what can you do? What can you do when you're getting to that oh shit stage? Uh, well, anytime you have an awareness, you have to take new and inspired action. So new action, I say new because something different than your automatic way of doing things. Sometimes doing anything different can create uh, results. Just doing anything different than you normally would do it. Doesn't have to be good. It's just something different. We'll create positive change. So new action, and then I say inspired, and, and you know, and I want to, you know, I've introduced the notion of doing things from a more authentic, true to yourself place, and that's what I mean by inspired action, and, and that takes a whole nother conversation. Um, you know, when you get off of uh, the conversation about like these limiting beliefs and these automatic ways of being and this, these fear-based patterns, th then you have to have this conversation that's about more positive stuff. And, and that's where the inspired things come in. And we can talk about that in a moment if you'd like. But so what you need to do after you have an awareness about, oh, I'm overwhelmed, maybe I've distinguished a little bit how, what my pattern is to myself and I kind of, I've, I've learned more about myself. Now you just have to, take action because awareness alone doesn't do anything awareness plus doing something about it actually can create results big results different results than you're used to getting so right. uh, it's just really just actions anything you know take i always i always start with the number three you know what are the three things you can do to 
practice something different now that you've recognized where you are and what you're doing and what your pattern is? What would be a way to intervene? Right, so the, instead, of, instead of grabbing a coffee or something that you normally would do or a beer, it, it might be taking that walk around the facility or just driving your car and go get a milkshake or who knows. Yeah, just stepping out, having a conversation with somebody, um, you know, hiring a coach, you know, um, just sitting and meditating or anything different than like, okay, I see that pile of, of crap and I normally just dive head, head first into it. And I know that that for me, you know, whoever entrepreneur I'm, you know, pretending to be right now, like just doing something different than what you normally do. And any of those options that you just laid out, I think would create something different, would create some traction, something to leverage. And it would grow into, it would probably grow into new, new patterns, new, um, new, better habits, something different. Yeah, so you're talking about about inspiration, and um, and I think for a lot of entrepreneurs and, and brewery owners, that especially in the industry that's rising, there's a lot of that inspiration there and, and a vision for for something else. Um, and and we've talked with you a lot about vision, so I wanted to get your take on on this idea of a vision for a business and and what that is. Okay, so I think. The way I define vision for um, a business is a willingness or the act of going farther and in greater detail about what you want. Most people don't spend much time dreaming anymore. You know, I once asked a client, you know, when did you stop dreaming? And he was like, at 16. You know, and he's just been busy ever since. And he, he was successful, you know, he's making well over six figures and creating things, but he wasn't being pulled t towards his vision for a future because he didn't really have one other than just like, I want to make more and, and have more relaxation time. It just wasn't inspiring. So for him, it actually was a daring, courageous act to sit down and actually think, you know, dare to dream. Dare to just visualize. I usually do, uh, you know, recommend a writing exercise for this that way because it slows you down. It's private. No one ever has to read this. I don't have to read my clients' vision exercises, although I like to. But it's bravely, bravely allowing yourself to dream. And when I say more detail, I always encourage people to include all of their senses in the in these visions, these vision exercises, like. You know, typically I say, imagine, envision yourself, you know, well, we'll get to a, I'll ask them what is a exciting goal for them a year from today. And we'll kind of flesh out something that is the beginnings of a goal. Um, then I ask them to actually visualize themselves on the, the day that they reach that goal and the right, a right to write a letter to themselves from that future to themselves today and just explain how it feels. What's the day like? And the more that you can bring your senses into it, the more your brain actually um, experiences that future. Our brains can't really tell a difference between something really, really imagined and dreamed and reality. It actually 
you know, I've talked to um, I've talked to psychotherapists and, and people that are much more um, knowledgeable about how our brains are wired and how they function and creating different synapses and neural pathways. But there's a lot of work and a lot of um, really cool stuff going on in that part of medicine that's saying you can actually remap your brain. You know, they say the neuroplasticity is what it's called. But when you actually do a lot of this visioning exercise, it, it really physically changes your brain. It allows you to experience um, that vision for a future. And that, that, no, that just it changes you over time. If you keep on practicing, it actually has a, a, a positive impact on just optimism and, and passion. But also, by doing this exercise and taking the time to flesh this stuff out, you actually can uncover and discover some truths, some deep-rooted truths about yourself and like who you are, what you really value. You know, in, in, in um, the hot phrase, you know, over the last few years for, you know, entrepreneurs is define your why. What's your why? Uh, everybody talks about it, um, not just coaches. This is how you discover your why, by actually allowing yourself to dream what, what is a future that is like inspiring to you. What's important to me? What, would I, what do I want it to look like a year from now? Oh, and I have to add this. More importantly is it to just do like a year from today and then flesh out it in as much detail as possible, but then to push it 10 steps farther. So vision as a willingness to go in more detail, but go 10 steps, 10 steps farther. Like, okay, so what about five years from now, 10 years from now? What about at the end of your life? And do writing exercises about those, even if it's a paragraph or, or a whole page. Just flesh out as much as you can. Really, really allow yourself to just imagine a future. And then figure out, then you can just like pick it apart and see what you've discovered about yourself. And the, the importance of this is, so we've talked about like, fear driving you and driving your automatic ways of being. And that can be useful, right? It does get you started. It gets the fire under your ass, right? And it's always gonna be there. But if you also have something that is the sort of polar opposite of that, that you can turn to, or ha perhaps make it the, the main driving factor, perhaps let, let this thing drive the car a little bit, which is that future pulling you towards it. Cause you've, you've thought about it so much, you've envisioned it so much, you've done the work, you've talked about it, you've dared to think about it and allowing that to inspire you forward. Let, let that be the driving force. I think that's uh, for busy business owners, which is everyone, we've, we always think about our time and the value of our time. And I think at least for me, getting caught up in that, that cycle and then thinking, well, I to sit down and like dream. I don't have time to dream right now. I got to get this done. I have to do this. I have to do that. Um, but when you really do it, and, and again for me, this is my experience of taking that time, taking 20 minutes, an hour, whatever it takes, however long you can put aside for it, um, and then doing it. It's not just about oh well now I've thought this out, but you get that inspiration which causes you to be more productive. Uh, which opens up your mind a bit and reduces stress. So from that one hour, you've completely changed everything about your day for the rest of that day and possibly the week or the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, that could be right. Most people in uh, their patterns are, are going to be like, I'm not for this, or yeah, I'll do it tomorrow, and it just goes by the wayside. 
So this is a, it, just doing this is, could be the thing that's the intervention, that's the cycle break, because it's different. You actually taking time to not go back, you know, not to come home from your working, you know, 12 hours at the brewery to, you know, coming home and, and watching, you know, mindless television and passing out to actually, you know, or maybe getting up Sunday morning and, and, and carving out an hour to just do this by yourself under a tree. Like it would be completely different for most people. Not everybody's under a tree journaling about their future. It's a, it's a weird thing to do, but it really cool. And it can be, like you said, the thing that actually creates a whole new path. And again, I mean, it, it's so valuable for people to understand why they're doing what they're doing, what they actually want out of life. Why do they start this brewery if we're talking about brewers? What do they want to experience? Like, what else do they want? You know, like, the more you do this, the more you understand what drives you, and the more you understand, it just, it's almost rudimentary at that point to say, of course, the more I understand about myself and what I want and have a clear vision for it, the better it'll be. Not just your experience, but the better your business will be the better your marketing will be. I mean, there's any number of things, you know, the better you'll be able to sell your customers. Yeah. The happier you'll be, I see a big connection between what we were talking about with the overwhelm cycle and then what we're talking about, you know, with vision, where like your overwhelm cycle is sort of like auditing what you're currently doing so you can get out of that cycle. And then you take that and it's all, and then you can start looking at you know the vision. You, it's like you just keep going farther and farther and farther. Um, and I think those two things kind of combined really, you know, have helped me out personally. Um, and just, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that you that people th don't even think about, um, you know, taking that time to really plan out what's going to happen in five years or even trying to even think about that anymore. It's very automatic, like you've said. Um, and I don't know if that's just changed, you know, I feel like when I was younger, um, people talked about that a lot more, but then as you grow up and you get older, it, you just, you forget about it. Yep. People, you know, you get, you get, you get jaded. You have more experiences to, you know, you get more, you have more mistakes and more failures to, to actually, um, make choices based on, Right making choice choices based off of past experiences that went wrong. So you have more and more evidence as to why I can't go sit under a tree and journal this morning. Because I don't want it to happen like last time I started a business and it failed or whatever it was. You know? Which actually has no bearing on what's going to happen in the future. It just doesn't. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think everybody, it's just very common. This is what happens when you grow up. You stop dreaming, you know, you stop dreaming, you get more realistic. One of my favorite comics is it's just a one panel, and it's this kid talking to another kid, and he says, what do you want to be when you give up? And instead of grow up, it's give up. And it's like, oh, man, that resonates. <laughs> yeah, it, that's really, that's that's hilarious. And I, it, I, I see so much value in that type of vision planning that when we're, when I'm consulting with our black label, our digital consulting firm, whenever I'm, talking for the first time with a uh, small business owner um, that's kind of getting ready to start scaling things a bit, uh, that's one of the first things I ask them now is what what's a day in your life personally look like in five years or ten years? Um, because a lot of times what I find is that 
they sit back a second. They're like, uh, I, I don't know. And, and sometimes they don't even understand what I'm getting at. But it's like, if, if your vision of your future involves you being really disconnected from things, then that's a lot different than if you're saying, I still want to be the craftsman. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and again, it's just so, so, it's pervasive. It is, it's everywhere. And I guess that's why I have a, a job doing what I'm doing. Because it's not, no one's practiced in this kind of thing. It's not automatic. It takes, it's not, it's, there's so much resistance around doing this sort of thing that sometimes it takes, uh, you know, another person to hold you to it or investing in a relationship with someone like me or maybe a business partner or just creating some sort of structure that will allow this to happen. That'll say, hey, I'm putting my foot down. I'm drawing a line in the sand. We're going to start doing these things differently. And most people don't get to that point until they've hit like a rock bottom or they've failed so many times that they're just so sick of doing the same things over and over again that they're finally opened up to, I just need to do something different. I need to ask somebody else. I'm, I'm ready to be open-minded now. It doesn't have, you don't have to wait to that point to do that. Awesome. Well, um, Mike, appreciate all of this because I think there's, we've been working with you, as I mentioned, for two years and, uh, I don't even know how many hours that is, but every time we talk, I'm surprised that of the new things that I'm continually learning, uh, and I wonder how big the book is that, <laughs> that you have of the different tools and techniques. But uh, I, I highly recommend anybody that's kind of feeling that stress of a brewery and maybe is making the same mistakes uh, to reach out to you or or any type of uh, coach that they might know and just get that help that they need. Yeah, yeah, anybody who's interested can reach me at uh, michaelzermoscoaching.com, and I'd be more than happy to just have a conversation about that. Again, like I said, you know, I, I go through all this stuff as well. I have my own coach, and so I really relate to it, and my vision, to talk about vision, is a, a world where there's more and more entrepreneurs and small businesses that are getting supported in all the right ways, and there's more, there's more variety and there's more creativity in this world where, where it's not just conglomerates and corporate America doing everything. You know what I mean? So I think we all need as much help as we can get. You know, and I think it's a new era of community and support and and positivity. You know, this generation is um, actually more open than previous generations, I think, to that sort of thing. And so I think the future is really bright, and um, uh, I'm just excited to to do what I do and, and to help as many people as I can. Awesome. Well, really appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Visit us at craftbeermarketinginstitute.com and take a look at our blog. Subscribe for free and get access to additional materials. Also, send any comments or suggestions to info at craftbeermarketinginstitute.com and let us know what you would like to hear us cover. We have a lot of great interviews and discussions coming up in our next episodes, so stay tuned. The Craft Beer Marketing Institute is a podcast of Black Label, a digital consultancy working with businesses to help them grow and solve problems online. If you would like to learn more, visit us at blacklabelagency.com and follow us at Use Black Label on Twitter.